and welcome to the ridiculously belated episode 34 of Pennies in the Well. I am your psychotic host, Saturn Dark Hope, who has been lost, missing, traveling in the realms of the mundane for many, many months now with no escape into the land of podcast, podcast heaven. So here I am back and... Well, sneaking in an episode through trial and tribulation, and I'm happy to say that I am here with you. I'm actually quite ecstatic to say it, and it's going to be a a Toad, Mr. Toad's wild ride uh, of unplanned insanity and marvelous. No, I have no marvelous. All I have is unplanned. See, this is how life these days goes, is that I have four things booked into today, one of which turned into be something of a very long commitment. I thought it was a one-hour commitment. It turned out it was six. But the advantage is, is that I am stuck in a house with no internet access, but I have my computer and my microphone. So I have the opportunity to actually sit back and record for you, with you. Hi! Hello! <laughs> my god, it's been forever. So, uh, what have I got to tell you? I, I have many personal things that I could tell you about. My work world has taken on a level of insanity that it, it truly, it boggles the mind. Uh, I reached the level of stress where I, I can't even talk about work anymore. It's too stressful because it's just got way too much going on. So that's kind of eating into my life. Um, when last we talked, I do believe that I had mentioned that there was a new man in my life. Well, this new man has uh, moved in, which I'm not sure if that happened last time that we were talking. And he, well, on Friday night, he proposed to me. So I'm going to be getting mundanely married. He and I have also already had a, a form of a joining ritual, and we're going to be doing hand fasting combined with the wedding probably next summer. So it's been insanity. Oh, and uh, we've decided to buy a place together. So I'm... We've been preparing my condo for sale, which means backing up absolutely everything. Oh my God, we own so much crap. I mean, it's not crap, but oh my God, the amount of shit that is in that place. <sighs> and we're all we're trying to do it before we head out to uh, the Pagan Podkin Supermoot number three that is happening the uh, first full weekend in October. And uh, it is in San Francisco. So uh, I don't have details at this point for what is happening precisely when. All I know is that on October uh, 5th and 6th and 7th, um, I and my partner and my, my buddy Holly and Tyson, who have been on the podcast before, will all be in San Francisco meeting up with Podkin and hopefully a few uh, listeners and getting to meet and greet and have fun and see a different city so think about coming out and visiting your favorite podkin who are going to be there uh there is there's a list i even have a list and i can probably pull up that list in a fast enough manner that it doesn't seem like i'm actually you know trying to sneak this in so we have firelight from inciting a riot mojo and sparrow from the wiggling way me kathleen from borealis meditation peter Padden from The Crooked Path, Corey from New World Witchery, Scarlet from Lakefront Fagan Voice, uh, Nemocene Mars from Pagan by Nature, and Velma from Wishes Bruhaha, who is once again, along with Corey this year, uh, organizing this entire event. So think about it. Think about coming out on those October, uh, what did I say, 5, 6, and 7, coming out and seeing us in San Francisco, because who doesn't want to go to San Francisco at some point because it's cool with the Golden Gate Bridge and Alcatraz and uh, you damn betcha I am going to Alcatraz 
unfortunately, normally ghost type places, um, particularly really harshly, uh, intensely negative places. I've been to, for instance, uh, in Ottawa, there's the first prison that was in Canada and Oh, place is creepy. Let me tell you, the shit that <laughs> that happened in that place, the cells that these guys lived in, you know, we're talking like two feet wide by eight feet long holes, really, uh, in cement. And then there was a hallway that teed it across all the cells. And then there were windows that had no wind actual glass in or any protection in them way back when. So they were essentially open to the elements aside from, you know, some bars keeping them stuck in their little, you know, two feet across room because I mean, maybe three feet. But but regardless, I couldn't actually stretch my arms out when from my body in that room. It was it was not that wide. Highly interesting place. It was part of a ghost tour. And there were a lot of people on the tour had reactions. I, on the other hand, apparently have lovely and protective spirits around me who went, fuck you, to anything that came nearby. They did get some interesting photography of me, though, with shining lights around me, uh, which is why we leaned towards the nothing else was allowed to come near me factor. Well, sometimes things do, but not in that particular case. So I'm really curious about what would happen at Alcatraz, whether or not I could sense more than just the ambient energy if, uh, if there are any lingering spirits there. If anyone happens to know, drop me a line, pennies in the mouth. <laughs> pennies in the well at gmail.com. Uh, as always, I will be absolutely horrid at getting back to email because <laughs> it's the way I am and I feel so bad about it, but clearly not bad about it enough to change my ways. Oh, perhaps that should be one of the <clears throat> things or topics for today's episode is accepting your own personal reality. That seems like a good topic, doesn't it? Of, of simply it's a difficult line. So I'm going to jump right in and then we'll come back to announcements. So let's do a little mini topic here on accepting our own reality. Because there's an, an interesting line, right, of there are things about ourselves, about what we do that we look at and we know we should change and we truly want to change. And it's not easy. A lot of the, I'm not talking about the easy shit where you go, yeah, I'm going to do it that way. And, you know, you do it that way, the new way the next time and forever after and it caused you no distress, no aggravation, no frustration, no difficulty, no intense negotiation with yourself, no forgetting. No, Yeah, if it's easy, then it doesn't count. I'm talking about the things that would be really, really hard to change, like apparently me getting back to email in a timely fashion. These are not simple things to change. It, changing your food habits is a very classic example of very difficult, especially if it's emotion driven. Um, how you handle money can be another one. A lot of them are emotionally driven underneath. That's what makes them so tricky to change. And they tie into kind of our basic personality of how we do things. And our basic personalities don't like to change. We're kind of not that we're fixed, but uh, we're rather stone-like. You know, you can change stone, but you either chip it or you wear at it with water or wind for a really long time. It doesn't change easily. It is not mutable. It is more fixed, uh, if you want to get a little astrological in there. So how do we go about even determining what are the things that we should change and shouldn't? Well, it kind of, in my opinion, comes down to expectations from outside that you agree you should meet uh, and expectations from inside that ultimately you also agree that you should meet. Um, and that, so, so you have to determine the, what those are. 
And then third, and the biggest one, are you actually willing to make a change to do it? Because I can agree that I should be answering email in a timely fashion. And that from both an external, not that anyone actually hounds me about it because probably I apologize way too often and up front. But regardless, I, I would assume the outside pressure would be, yeah, get back to me on a reasonable fashion. Um, the internal push is absolutely there because it's the right thing to do. However, my will, my actual driving will, my, my inward impetus towards change is clearly lacking. And if I did more explanation, uh, exploration of it, I might discover that underneath all of that avoidance of answering email uh, could be tied into uh, pressures that I feel in a variety of ways. And this is a way to avoid one particular pressure. It could be that I am so utterly sick of email f at, at work that the thought of doing email at home sickens me. And there's a certain amount of truth to that one because, oh my God, how I hate email. It haunts me. Um, a third factor is actually, and this is a very important component when you deal with changing things that are an inherent part of your nature, is that um, I, if it's not right in front of me, I forget. <laughs> so the truth is, when I get an email, if it's a quick and easy email to answer, I will typically just answer it. Um, if I can answer something in under two minutes, I'm usually golden as I will, but anything that requires a little bit more thought or that I want to put a little bit more care into and I'll go, you know what, I want to do a little bit longer with that. So I put it, you know, down and with the intention to come back to it later. Best of intentions. My best of intentions fail regularly because I forget it's there. I have the memory of a gnat right now. I am a mayfly in my brain. It's pathetic and frustrating and it's something that actually is on my list of things to work on is my memory. And that means that I have a tendency to go, yes, I want to reply truly to that email. And then I forget that it was even there. And then I remember two weeks later or three weeks or whatever, or not even at all and go, holy fuck, I have left that person hanging for X amount of time. Shit. Still haven't managed to change the pattern, however. It's a sad, sad, sad state of affairs. So... That's where the understanding your nature and the components that are driving the action can become really important and whether or not they are changeable, right? My memory at this point needs work, but it is not going to be instantaneously changeable. So I either need to accept that I'm going to suck at replying to emails or I can put in mechanisms in place to help keep me on top of it in a better way, like marking things as unread so that I don't realize that I have read them and haven't got back to them, uh, removing any extra barriers to replying. For instance, the uh, podcast email actually forwards into my home email address because I don't tend to live on Gmail. Um, I have enough windows open in my browser. I don't usually add another one. And because my email... It isn't regular uh, for the podcast, so I don't go in there all the time. And that means that in order for me to reply, I actually have to go log into the Gmail account and do it. So, you know, right there, you can start to see there's a line towards fixing this, which is give up the, the illusion, honey, and just log into Gmail every time as, as part of the opening of the browser. And then the email's right there, and you might actually reply to people, and you wouldn't be such a gomer. Yeah, that's me. So... 
there, a little mini topic on, you know, how to, how, whatever I called it at the beginning. Did I mention that my memory is in a state of utter and abject failure? Oh, too many things on the go. Seriously, if I actually had the time to make a to-do list, I think probably would cry. Uh, but, but I'm in love. I am. Well, I should be because I said yes to getting married and I'm going to buy a townhouse with the guy. So I'd better damn well love his ass. But that being said, you know, I'm feeling things I haven't felt before. I am much more open than I've been before. And getting a chance to explore other sides of me that have been truly wondrous to experience. While running around like a mad woman, not having nearly enough time, and we don't have enough time together, and we're really looking forward to uh, this whole transition from home to home to being done because we're oh, life will at least get conceptually simpler, and I can go back to something of a vaguely regular schedule of of talking with you, of being able to interact with you. Um, Right, so back to practical things and announcements and such. Uh, one is because I didn't actually end up putting out another podcast and because none of you are actually <laughs> making yourself part of the contest, I still have a copy of uh, Misanthropes Press Etched Offerings, Voices from the Cauldron of Story. It's a collection of pagan short stories that includes a number of podcasters, including yours truly, and Araya from Between the Earth and Stars, Corey from New World Witchery, and I don't remember if there's anyone else right now, but regardless, I have a lovely copy of this book sitting here unlost and unboxed, despite the fact that two-thirds of my home is now in boxes in a storage room. Well, actually, it's more like half, and I wish it was two-thirds, which tells you I still have a ways to go, plus all the rooms to paint. Oh my god! Right, I am a calm blue ocean. I am a calm blue ocean. I am a calm blue ocean with a copy of Etched Offerings sitting on my hand right now going, someone, please take me home. So in order to get a copy of this, um, what was very simple is to leave a comment or a rating on iTunes for Pennies in the Wells podcast because, well, it's a little sad. There, there's no ratings and there's no comments and it... it well, at least not that I've looked at recently. And I would look right this instant and double check. Actually, I was going to look before I started the podcast episode, but I believe I already mentioned that there is no internet access in this place. So I'm cut off. Do you know how weird it is to be utterly cut off? Hmm. Another side little topic, however, um, and it is uh, something that came out of this last weekend, which is something I will probably talk about a little bit later, too. We were at uh, the annual Pirates and Fairies uh, event. It is a quasi-pagan event in that it was born out of a group of pagan people who'd been doing a pagan gathering there in, at this particular site for a lot of years. And then the pagan gathering moved to a different site because it was getting too big. And we didn't there was a group of people who just didn't want to give up having a party at this particular site because we'd been there for, you know, well over a decade at this point. There were traditions just built into going there on this particular weekend that many people just couldn't bring themselves to leave behind. So instead of making it a full, you know, conference-y kind of event with workshops and rituals and such, it was decided to embrace the idea of fun. It's basically like having a massive themed house party for a weekend with adults only at a campground with cabins and a lake and paths and oh my god it is the most amazing co-created magical space 
everyone goes into costume. Okay, so Friday night when you arrive and you're setting everything up, probably not so much on the costume side. But Saturday, Sunday, and even into Monday before you leave, everyone is decked up. The site is decked up. There's a pirate hall that gets, you know, decorated for partying. The paths between the cabins and various places all have you know, like twinkle lights along them, lighting the way the whole weekend. And there's glitter bombs freaking everywhere. But if you haven't experienced seeing uh, nature sparkling with glitter by the light of small teeny little fairy lights through the woods, and perhaps a little figurine of a fairy right in the midst of it, you haven't lived. Oh my God, it is beautiful and magical. And if you let yourself be transported, which we do, we, we move out of time when we go on this weekend and embrace the whole craziness. And we're fairies and we're pirates and there's a pirate battle. And I've probably talked about this in previous years because I love it so much. And there's uh, always Aphrodite's temple, which I will talk about in a minute. But the important part is about leaving behind the mundane world and about leaving time behind, not worrying about those constraints that hold us in so much of the time. You know, when you're in mundania, in the real world, dealing with life and work and home and all those regular commitments that we have, we are very stuck in time because that what we do is bracketed on all sides by by a time, by the, you know, when the kids have their stuff that they have to do that you have to get them to, or, you know, when you're going to meet up with your friends, when you have to get to work, when you get off of work, the appointments that you have, we all end up bound by time, even if, you know, every Friday, well, your Friday, whatever day of the week it might actually be, your last day of work, when you hit that moment of I'm free until you have to go back, you know, some people can be really good about putting away time at that point, but it rules us a lot of the time. So a big part of this weekend is about putting that down. Well, this year, what I found was that, uh, and I recognize that for some people, a phone is a necessity if you have kids and this is not a kid event, so the kids have been left with someone else. You may have to keep a phone around, you know, in case of emergency. But people were using phones and iPads and laptops. Not a heck of a lot, but it was there. And it, just as mundane clothing can pull you out of a co-created illusion of fairy world, so can electronic devices. That's what I believe. And... I guess I feel that it's actually uh, of a detriment to not just the people around them, but particularly to themselves when people do that. When we hold on to those connections, those devices that that keep us connected with the internet, with all the people uh, around us, the ones that we don't know in person necessarily because we've never met them because we only ever internet and Facebook and Skype and all that. It When we can't let ourselves put it down, for even three days or even two days, I think we do ourselves a great disservice. I think that there is a freedom and a release that comes from truly putting it down and letting it go and going, you know what? Doesn't matter. The rest of the world doesn't matter. It's allowing yourself to go only right here and right now and the people I'm with are important. 
Of course, this is a rant for me generally. I have issues when you are in a restaurant, you look over and there's a table that has a family in it, you know, and that's great. It's got the extended family, even, you know, parents, grandparents and kids and everyone at the table, sometimes including the grandparent, is sitting there on their phone or their iPad and they're interacting with a piece of metal and plastic that's in front of them rather than each other. And I can't help but think what a tragic place we've come to that when we're given the most basic of our interactions, socializing around food has always been what the human race, I think, has been about. We have so many rituals around food of how to serve it, how to eat it, how to invite other people to share in it, what it means when you invite people for various types of food. So if you're having an event that there should be food, whether it's brought by you or by, you know, everyone you invite, we have ev all of these things around social interactions and food. And we've reached a stage where you can be seated at a table with your family and instead of going, okay, you know what? Hey, we've got a chance for us to actually catch up because we leave such fucking busy lives now that we never get the opportunity. Instead of taking the opportunity, these people are retreating back into their devices and into their virtual relationships, which as great as virtual relationships are, they are not the same as interacting with the real world. And you can hate people all you want, but damn it, get out there and hug a tree or something. I don't care if it's people, trees, animals that you're interacting with, but get out and face the real world. It's healthy. Healthy, I tell you. We remember who we are, I think. I think we remember our core essence when we are dealing with other people and the world around us. When you actually, you know... We say go out into nature. Well, when you go outside, when you go beyond your own confines of your your home or your work environment, the places where you are highly familiar with everything, when you allow yourself to be more open to the world, and I don't mean that you have to go out into a forest for this to happen. Now, most of us being probably pagan who are listening to this or pagan friendly, we have a strong desire to go out into that forest or by that ocean or by that lake or up onto that mountain in order to have a greater experience of nature because we're nature hoes. We, we want to suck it up. We want to be flooded with the essence of nature. We want to be part of the greaterness that is around us. You can do that in a city as well. Then you're not taking in necessarily... There was a point on Facebook actually about this it, that uh, where do you think the buildings come from? Where do you think the people come from? It's all nature, baby. Our houses are part of nature. Our cars are part of nature. The whole kit and caboodle around us is part of nature. It's whether or not it's been transformed or not. So you can think of it that way as whether you're experiencing transformed nature or raw nature. So raw nature is where we like to go. Transformed nature depends on who you are, whether or not uh, you enjoy being out in it. Though if you haven't gone into a big city and done the, holy crap, those buildings are tall as you crane your neck and hold on to something so you don't actually fall over, you haven't had, you're missing an experience. I highly recommend that one. It's kind of cool. But the point is, is to, to get out, to be inside of the world, the bigger world that is around you, to sink yourself into it. 
by being present in the physical space that surrounds you, whatever it may be, by going <laughs> into our, our devices, our phones and our computers, we're taking ourselves out of our physical world into another one. Now, just as with altered states of consciousness, this is not inherently a bad thing. In fact, there is a lot of use for it. There's a lot of fun to be had with it. There is a lot of learning to come from it, but it is a tool and it is meant to be used in its own time frame. Altered states of consciousness are a lot of fun. Truly, they are. And I'll probably talk more about them someday. One cannot live in a constant state of altered state of consciousness. And well, you can. But I don't personally consider it healthy. I think it's good to come back into a sober state of mind every once in a while. Where sober can mean no intoxicants. It can also mean grounded, right? Where you're physically, mentally, emotionally present in the here, in the now, in your body, okay? And you know how I feel about the body and that we should be connected to it. Just as we've gotten such into a habit of living in our heads that it's hard to get into our body. We were expanding that problem by having our phones in front of us and our connections to Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, if you're a professional side of things and all the host of other places that I haven't figured out because quite honestly, yes, I spend too much time there already. And no, I don't want to spend more time online. I don't. I, I would rather, I'd rather hug my cat and socialize my snake. Oh, did I mention I, we have three snakes in the house now? It's quite crazy, actually. A ball, a corn, and a king snake, and they're all so cute. Yeah. And I have a story about Alice, actually, the ball that I will hopefully remember to tell you. So anyhow, that is my rant about devices and that they were out at this particular event more than I've ever noticed them before. Uh, for the longest time, we didn't actually even have canned music at this event. It was really a, you know grassroots almost kind of thing there was drumming and singing and people performing um perhaps with at, at a kind of a bardic thing around the fire with their you know, with their drums or someone might bring a guitar but it was very acoustic if you will there was no if the power went out then the biggest problem we had was no light on the paths it wasn't that any part of the experience dropped for anyone because no one was using power for anything except for the lights, right? This year, I, I, was, I, I was saddened actually to see so many people unable to let go of the rest of the world and let themselves sink into the magic that we were creating. <sighs> so that was that rant. I did, however, through all of that, mention Aphrodite's temple. And I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you, I think, a little story of how I got proposed to because it was truly magical and it ties into another topic. I have a feeling that today you're not going to get individual segments um, where there's music breaking it up and I do things like drawing the card and the rune for the particular episode. And that one's actually a problem because the cards are all at my home, which I am not at at the moment. And the runes are... I think they're in a box and I have a feeling it's a box that's already in the storage locker. So whether or not there are going to be runes for the next while remains to be seen, sadly. Anyhow, so this episode will be one long rambly story ranty kind of thing potentially, or it might have one break and I'll switch topics. It'll probably depend on how long I've been talking by the time it occurs to me to do that. So 
Allow me to tell you two stories. First, and they are magical stories and about magic because that is an important component of things in the world and my world and what I hope that you get out of this podcast is some thoughts too about what you can do with your magic to make things a little bit more interesting for you. So Friday night, August 31st, 2012, that was uh, just over a week ago now because today is Saturday, a week later. We were at our Pirates and Fairies weekend and it's uh, opening night. So Everyone's still setting up and everyone decorates their own cabins and such. It just, seriously, the, the co-creation of the magical space is astounding. It was also a blue moon on that Friday, as you may recall. And, excuse me, my coven had been asked to do a, a blue moon ritual for the full moon, uh, as full moons at this event are very rare because it's just, it just is. It's been a lot of years since we've had a full moon while we're at the, the place. So... And we're right on a lake. What we did was there was an opening ritual for the event. And about an hour later, uh, the the guys of the group, so we were three guys, three girls. Yes. Did I mention that the coven has grown? So we're actually a, a group of five now with kind of a uh, an adjunct member, <laughs> if you will. And it's something I'll probably talk about on another day about covens and such. But it, it's 2012, seriously, radically different from 2011 there has been so much change and so much of it the positive change that I've wanted for a really really long time that it in some it's part of probably why it's overwhelming uh and it's all happening at once <laughs> be careful what you wish for so no shit there we are uh the three guys were pirates in this particular case and the other two girls were fairies and then there was me and I was the moon and I was hiding off in the woods, communing with the moon, trying not to freeze my fucking ass off because I was sky clad with a very sheer, very pale ice blue cloak to cover me. I was also wrapped in what we like to call my uber cloak, uh, which is a full circle cloak where the outside layer is this uh, waterproof kind of plastic fabric. Yeah, waterproof, which is saying something. The... Um, inner lining is arctic fleece so it's my happy cloak because you stay very very warm on it it's fabulous so i'm i'm sitting on the ground under the moon soaking her up letting her fill me and just having a communing wonderful good time getting ready for my role which is much later while at the ritual the pirates are planning to steal the moon and they get everyone involved and worked up to go steal the moon and so they they conjure some fairies who are going to help them do this and the fairies uh (laughs) made a deal with some of the pirates they had to sell off part of their crew in order for the fairies to help them hey if you're gonna do ritual uh so a couple of things to keep in mind one is have fun and stealing away part of the pirate crew was fun but a much bigger component of this and what made it i think um from what i hear really good ritual for everyone is that what we were trying to do was not pretend to a role but to be the role right so if a you know if you conjure a fairy and you ask them to do something there's going to be a price so it it all flows and it makes sense and that's how we approached it was the pirates were really pirates going after the moon and the fairies were really fairies and they had their own agenda going on And what did that agenda look like? So you could say that we were figuring out a lot of backstory to the ritual play that we had put on. 
And that is definitely a way to put it and something that can be very important when you're planning a ritual is to really understand the nuances that are underneath of it. If you understand, particularly in ritual play type situations where you're acting out a scene or a mythology or in, in our sense, it was a story that we had created. You want to understand your backstory so that it will be a deeper, richer experience for everyone. And you don't have to tell everyone the backstory. Nobody needed to know um, particular, you know, particulars of the backstory, but it influenced our choices of how the ritual would go forward because some things made sense and some didn't. And the other important part that comes out of that is it keeps your actions within ritual a cohesive whole because if something doesn't make sense, if you simply put it together because you're thinking that these pieces kind of seem cool and go together, if you haven't made it a part, if you, you haven't made the role part of you and experienced it through and allow it to, to inform you how you would act, and I guess you could style, call it the method style of acting, then you run a higher risk of doing things that are discordant with the characters that you are presenting. You know, a, uh, I don't know, if you had a, a pirate who, you know, was giving away all the coins that he had, this would seem very peculiar and would probably jar people out of the headspace that you're trying to create with them unless you've given them a reason for why a pirate would suddenly be giving away all of his booty. If you could do that, then they follow it and they accept it, right? So if you put yourself into the state of being a pirate and feeling like a pirate and, and wanting all of the gold, and of course you'd want gold and, and rum, well, of course you'd want the rum. If you put yourself into that mindset and then you act, you, you see what the actions of the ritual would be, then it can help you encounter the moments where you're like, wow, no, seriously, a pirate would never do that. So that part is not going to work. So that is a tip for ritual creation of really putting yourself into the role and feeling it and living it prior to doing the ritual so that you can work out the parts that don't make sense. And during the ritual in particular, because if you allow yourself to channel the essence, the archetype of what you are presenting, you will get more out of it. The other people in the ritual will get more out of it. And you elevate it from a psychological exercise to an actual magical experience. And isn't that really what we all want? So no shit there where they were around the fire. They sold off part of the crew to the fairies and the fairies uh, made everyone, they gave them um, glow sticks to create the illusion of being a fairy so that they could sneak into fairyland. And over they came over to the docks and then they stood. And there was a good number of people there that uh, are pagan friendly, but not necessarily any experience with ritual at all. And they're standing on the dock, which was amusing because it turns out that if you put uh, 50 people on that particular dock, all in kind of the middle, the dock sinks. Huh, who knew? <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> After 19 years of being on that site, we didn't know we could sink the dock. <laughs> so and people had to spread out before kind of um, <clears throat> bad things happen. And they stood there before the full moon and they held up their glow sticks, which have been made into um, wristbands, right? So they're, they're in the round ring state, if you know what I mean. And they were holding it around the moon and they were staring up and just the, the two fairies were doing singing bowls to call the moon. And everyone was fixated and enraptured. It was stunning. And then I came out of the woods and very, very quietly in 
I had body paint on to, uh, like I said, I was the moon and I came down the docks and I walked through and among them and I spoke to them and people were so still in trance that it wasn't a distracting, jarring thing. It was a slight movement down, right, of the moon actually coming down to them. And then this is where the story, story shifts from ritual tips to more of a um, personal story. The <clears throat> pirate, the pirate king, shall we say, uh, who also happens to to be my ah, fiance. It's so weird to say, especially on a podcast. Oh my God fiance anyhow it wasn't then at that point so my man at that point the pirate king <clears throat> well they'd gone into this whole exercise with the intent to steal the moon so that the moon would stay with them through the weekend and keep it extra magical so he he well grabs hold of me steals me away and carts me off all the way through and around up the trails to aphrodite's temple we have been for 19 years we have had it on the same weekend i think except for one year or possibly two a temple to Aphrodite in the same cabin, the same place for that long. Like in even the year that it wasn't in the same weekend, it was still, it still happened. It just happened uh, at Samhain instead, which was a very interesting year, let me tell you. So uh, every year the temple set up, and I mean temple, there are um, white and red fairy lights throughout and draping fabrics and tulle and a bed made up in the center and you're strongly encouraged to bring your own sheets because it just makes life easier and there were some faux furs thrown around and there's statuary to Aphrodite and people bring roses and there were roses throughout the room and music playing and chocolates available and uh, well practicalities like condoms and lubes and such also available and every year they ask a couple to bless the temple. So after it's set up, after the opening ritual of the event, there's about an hour's worth of viewing time where people can just go and check it out. And then um, the one couple will go and bless the temple and then it is open for general use. And there are ways to indicate whether or not it's in use or not. So uh, we had been asked to bless the temple and off we go to it. And we so I'm still coming down from being the moon and and he's the pirate king stealing me away and we we get there and it was so gorgeous and we we admire the space and being you know touchy-feely lovey-dovey a little bit with each other you know doing the things that you might be inclined to do in such a type of situation and um at one point I was giving him a massage and he rolled over and it was we were in such a magical space and he looks up at me and he goes, I want you to be my wife. I was stunned. Uh, we've talked about it and, you know, if we were together long enough, then I had already told, I told him early on that that was my expectation. And we've talked about, you know, a big party for friends and family, but I, I honestly hadn't opened it up to thinking about whether or not he actually was going to ask me and I certainly hadn't thought about it for that moment I was just enjoying it for what it was I was truly in the moment and then the moment transformed and it was stunning <sighs> and because we we're blessing the temple he'd, he'd uh, had the bright idea of bringing along one of the best meads that I've made so far and we cracked the bottle and we shared a drink in celebration and toasting and Ah, I had the best temple experience I've ever had and it was a great and magical gift. And so that, that is my personal amazing story from the weekend. 
And now I'm going to share my other story, which was sometimes when you allow the universe to be very loud in, in, in your world, the more that you listen to what the universe is trying to tell you and you allow for signs to enter in, sometimes the signs can get really loud and obvious. So I'd wanted a ball python. So we're back to snakes for a while now. They're, um, they, they're very tubby, but not very long snakes and they're very mellow and relaxed but they can be finicky to look after uh, they're finicky eaters is what it typically is so I've been wanting to get a ball python and I've been looking for like six eight months now and I keep talking myself off the ledge of getting one and then I've been in this one store and I'd seen them and I was oh I was thinking you know what I, I got a really strong feeling this time that this this might actually be the case so I did some readings and it was like it was yes but it was a weird conditional yes and we couldn't quite figure it out. So we go down and BJ's with me, um, my fiance, and we're in looking at the snakes and this one particular one that I, I had been thinking of. And he's like, mm, no, cause she was very small and he was no. And then they take out this other one. So and we think it was actually the same age, but like double the size. She was, he, she's huge. <laughs> and all, through all of this, I've always known that my ball python's name would be Alice because that's, that would be her name. It would be a girl and it, her name would be Alice. Um, and yes, from Alice in Wonderland. So we're, uh, and a little bit Resident Evil, but mostly Wonderland. So we're, we're, he's holding a snake and he's like, oh yeah. And he hands her to me and I'm like, oh yeah, I really think that, the, that she could be the one. And I was looking at the, the clerk and I was, was telling the clerk actually that, um, about the name Alice and that if it was the right one, then her name was going to be Alice because that was just the way that was going to be. And as I say it over the radio that's playing in the background, the first, uh, very first intro bars of Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit starts playing. And it's like, okay, that, that's a sign. That's a big ass universe slapping a, a neon yes. Here, do this moment onto it. Ah, magic happens is kind of the point of that one. If you let it. If you listen, if you, the more that you interact and this, these aren't things, sometimes you get them really early on in your magical career and sometimes they can take freaking forever before you start really noticing them in your life. The biggest thing, if you want them to happen is to not discount things just because there's a rational explanation. The world doesn't operate irrationally. It, it may appear to upon occasion, but it has its own flow, its own way, its own methodology of working. And magic happens within the world, not, not just in spite of it, not to spite it, but as part of it. And thus magic, because it's part of the natural flow of things, it will not often appear irrational right? Things will happen for seemingly very mundane reasons, but just because it happened for a mundane reason does not mean that the universe isn't trying to tell you something, that a particular God or goddess or whatever spirit that you're working with, your holy guardian angel, your higher self, whichever, whatever was influencing that moment is still telling you something. They're just using the world to do it with. So do not discount 
the magic. And now I'm actually going to take a quick look and see what the time is like on here and go, holy crap, 45 minutes. I can ramble like nobody's business. So I'm actually going to probably put an end to this particular episode, mostly because, um, despite the fact that I have hours here, I had to spend a couple of hours doing something else. And so I don't have nearly as much time as I rather hoped I would have to do the episode. That and um, there are some things that I would like to talk with you about that haven't coalesced enough in my head to be a, a strong enough topic, which is partly why this particular episode has been a little rambly. I go through stages and I would assume most many some people go through these stages as well. These are the natural stages of expansion and contraction of experience and reflection. And may I just say that as a society, we suck at reflection. Oh dear gods, do we suck at it? We are so go, 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 go all about the time that we never stop and rest and reflect. And it's the, the stopping, the resting and the reflecting that allows us to integrate that what we've learned, what we've experienced. And until we've integrated those things, we do not actually progress that much farther. So it is a natural part of the evolution process of becoming greater beings within ourselves is to go through this period of rest and reflection. This is why journaling is so important because it gives you that opportunity to stop and really look and contemplate what you've experienced either in the day, the week, the month, the year, the life. But it, it invites you to pause and a little to evaluate and think, but it, it really shouldn't be about that. It should be about, I would say almost reflecting emotionally and spiritually rather than with thought. Thought has its own power in it, but we're so comfortable in reflecting and thought. We're so comfortable in using thought as a method for interacting with our experiences that I don't think you need help and guidance on that one. I think what we all need is better practice at reflecting spiritually and soulfully and emotionally on what has been going on in our worlds. So I find for, in the grander scheme of things, there's been so much going on. It's, it's this massive expansive force for like the last six months of change and new things and things happening. At the same time as that, I can feel things trying to spread and grow, but also integrate. And through all of that, it's very hard for me to generate a nice cohesive topic for you because things are evolving. And every time things evolve, uh, in, during the process of the leveling up or the evolution or, or what have you, when you're going through a growth spurt, it's not the best time for being able to concisively, okay, I'm never that concise, but coherently describe things that are going on. It's always easier to describe a process and experience a methodology after you've gone through it, not during the process. And unfortunately, when for me, when I'm going through a lot of change, even the things that I'm very familiar with can become harder to describe. And there is a topic that I'm dearly loving to share with you and am going to share with you in probably the sooner rather than later state, though. Please forgive me if you don't hear from me again until the end of the year because, uh, as I mentioned, selling condo, attempting to, and buy townhouse, and every spare moment that we have pretty much has been about packing stuff up and trying to get things ready to paint and uh, 
then we're off to the trip and yeah so please bear with me i am not disappearing off the face of the planet i'm not pod fading i'm simply buried beneath an avalanche of self-inflicted work and when that passes i will be back with my wonderfully erratic yet vaguely regular schedule so so don't discount me i'm still here <sighs> yes so the topic that's going to come up soon is about stones this should not become as too much of a surprise because you know how much of a stoner girl i am i love my stones and i can tell that i've gone through another massive personal change because my personal stone set has also gone through intense um transformation so it is my outward reflection of my inward state and that is why well it's not why i'm going to share with you about how i do my stone set but uh, i adore doing the stones and it is a really great very personalized and personalizable tool that you can make up so easily uh, with essentially a no investment if you're inclined to go one direction to you know most people would go the minor investment and some people go to the freakish investment but you know that's only for those who choose to do that anyhow that will be a future topic i'm very much afraid that there will be no halloween Samhain slash Samhain episode this year for which i'm sorry because i love getting out to you some wacky music and i love rocking out to my monster mash but or you know, freaking out with the zombies. And oh, by the way, uh, to to Jillian over at Iron Powaka, I'm really glad that you're still surviving down there through the zombie apocalypse. I was really glad to hear that. It's been, it's always a worry for me, for you guys down there. Uh, we, we have it a bit luckier up here because the population density isn't so bad. So the, the zombie horde is a little bit more manageable that and we just throw them in the ocean kind of thing. <laughs> like our old people, we put them onto ice flows. Anyhow, that is enough insanity, I think, for the moment, and I'm going to sign off very ungracefully this particular episode, I am afraid. I have loved, loved, loved being able to spend this time with you. I wish I had more. I hope that I can, in the next uh, couple of months, carve out another hour or two, because there's that post-production thing that takes time and such, but uh, yeah, hopefully very soon. Don't count on it, but... Uh, it is a promise that I will be back. Do not doubt that. And so I'm going to leave you with music. Um, and I had to think about it, what I wanted to do. But I'm going to play for you a song by Jenna Green, G-R-E-E-N-E, -E, from her album Crossroads. And I'm going to play the title track for you. It's called Crossroads, obviously, because, well, Samhain's a coming up, which is a really good time to do crossword, cross road work <laughs> that was almost really funny and it kind of feels like um, my whole world has been one massive crossroads for the last little while just because there's been so much interesting things going on so i hope you enjoy the music i hope that you have enjoyed this little bit of insanity i hope that you go and leave a comment or a rating on itunes when you do that email me at penniesinthewell@gmail.com, and that will put you into the um, the, the running to get this copy of etched offerings. So put it in. You've got plenty of time because I probably at this point, oh my God, it's September. Time's going to fly too fast. So I'm going to remain this contest open until the end of 2012. So, uh, at, 
on New Year's on 2012, that's when I'll be doing the draw. So you get it in before then and your name goes in. Uh, there's some really great stories in there and a forward by SJ Tucker, which is also fabulous. And through all of this, I'm also reminded that there was something else I wanted to tell you about, which was um, I got notification from a John Redmond, the media director of Meta Bazaar. So this comes out of the recent announcement that it's, uh, eBay is no longer doing um, the metaphysical. I'm sure you've heard about that, that on eBay, you're no longer allowed to do anything metaphysical and sell it on there. They're uh, removing or here. Let me read what they wrote to me. As you are likely aware, eBay is removing many items from their metaphysical category, thus causing thousands to lose their access to the many unique items that drove that section for years. So launching this past September 1st, metabazaar.com, so that's M-E-T-A-B-A-Z-A-A-R.com will provide a secure platform for the exchange of goods and services, bringing legitimacy to the metaphysical trade while gathering this amazing and valid community under one roof to learn and grow together. That was written by Sasha Rosewood, the CEO of Meta Bazaar. We aim to reach everyone who could possibly benefit. We believe your audience would appreciate and benefit from learning about this new venture. So if you agree, well, then they were right. So uh, they, you can check out their website, um, have a look at what they offer. I personally have never shopped on eBay for anything metaphysical beyond well <laughs> no surprise stones because i love my stones um but i'm not a big ebay person but if you have been if that's something that is of interest to you there is now this other option and so those are your announcements get in your um your your ballot, so to speak, for the copy of Edged Offerings. If you're in the area, come on down to San Francisco on the weekend of October 5, 6, and 7 to meet your podkin. And uh, there's now this Meta Bazaar. And that, my lovely ones, is, alas, the end of this particular episode. So I hope that you have enjoyed uh, nearly an hour's worth of rambling. And as always, bright and dark blessings. Oh, no, my God. Did I just use Araya's closing? I did, didn't I? Because I am blessings of the deep and wild. She is the bright and dark blessings. You know, it is a bad sign for your podcast when you start closing with someone else's closing. I could delete this, but then how would you be able to mock me? And a certain amount of humility is always good for the soul. So uh, my apologies to Araya. And clearly, if you don't know who I'm talking about, you should go check out her podcast because I obviously love it enough that I'm remembering her lines better than mine right now. It's uh, Earth, uh, Between the Earth and Stars. And I think it's betweenearthandstars.org. So I will leave that hopefully in the show notes. And in the meantime, blessings of the deep and wild to you. Blessed be. Psych! Episode's not really over because it turned out that I happened to get a Pagan Pug and Supermoot update just prior to my actually posting of this particular podcast episode. So I get to throw in all the details right here, snuck in at the itty bitty tiny tiny last second of being on this particular podcast. But before I do that, just a quick shout out to Marie B for her birthday, which it happened to be today. Uh, as I'm recording this, it's September 11th. So a happy birthday to you because I know that you're going to get a kick out of hearing that. Now, on with the details. So as I said, uh, the meetup, um, we're going to be there the 
5th, 6th, and 7th, but the actual meet and greet will be on Saturday, October 6th at Mystic Dream, uh, yes, M-Y-S-T-I-C, Dream, in Walnut Creek, California, and uh, it'll be from 1 to 4 o'clock, it looks like. Um, there's also potentially going to be some classes uh, but I'm not sure how many, where, what, when. I know no details about any particular classes. If you're interested, though, and that strikes your fancy, I would say contact Corey at New World Witchery. Um, I think their email address is compassandkey at gmail.com. So give that a shout. Anyhow, I will also give you a quick update of the people who are going to be at this particular supermoot. So it's Devin Hunter from Modern Witch Podcast, Firelight from Inciting a Riot. Myself, Kathleen Borealis from Borealis Meditation, Peter Patton from The Crooked Path, Corey Hutchinson from New World Witchery, Scarlet McPage from Lakefront Pagan Voice, Memosine Mars from Pagan by Nature, and Velma Nightshade from Witches Brouhaha. And just to let you know that Mojo and Sparrow from The Wiggling Way are very, very sad, sad, sad to say that they will not be able to make it after all. Uh, circumstances came up and they have just uh, out of luck and it sucks, but there you go. Now, I also want to add into here, because I may not get another chance to do it either before or realistically soon afterwards, of some sponsors who have been very supportive of the uh, pod, the, the meetup and have donated some some goodies for the people, and we're, I think, going to have a swag bag that we're going to give away to the people who show up and travel to meet us, so uh, you might be interested in some of this. So, the people who have contributed are... Moma Sara of Conjured Cardia, Mrs. Audley of, well, Mrs. Audley, Carolina Gonzalez of House of Elegua, the ma slash the magic shop, Willow Tree Press, Star Cassis of Old Style Conjure, The Curio and Candle Shop, Bree Saucy of Malagro Roots, Wiser Books, Anana Gabrielle of Misanthrope Press, K.S. Bogan of Carnivalia, Dr. E of Conjure Doctor Products, Sarah Lawless of Stang and Cauldron, Lisa Fish slash L.A.L.E., Eli hmm. Goldberg of Prometheus Music and of course the host of the meet and greet the mystic dream and if you want to follow on Twitter uh, the recommended hashtag is PPSM3 so that's the number three at the end so pound PPSM3 for the hashtag if you want to follow talking about the podcast and it's meetup and all, all those wonderful crazy things so that is a bunch of details thrown it to you very sneakily right at the end here and with that my dear listeners, I do wish you all the best, blessings of the deep and wild to you, and now enjoy some music. Have a blessed day. Bless be.
Yeah. 